listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello, Retail Razor Show listeners and viewers, and welcome to retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike. I'm your host, Casey Golden. And I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And boy, do we have a special treat for you this episode. Today, we are talking about the changing relationships between retailers and brands, the evolution of shopper engagement, how Omnichannel is morphing into seamless stores, and we see how it's possible to transform over 320,000 meeting requests into over 50,000 actual meetings in a span of three days. But first, let's talk about our newest crossover event and this episode's special guests. That's right. After our wildly successful crossover event with This Week in Innovation podcast for our NRF Live miniseries, joined by one of our favorite guest hosts, Jeff Roster, we've done it again for our Shop Talk coverage. Yes, indeed. By popular demand, and by popular demand, I mean we really like the idea, so we thought let's do it again. Jeff Roster and I teamed up at Shop Talk for a few special interviews to bring you a Shop Talk Live miniseries. Well, I'm sad. I once again had to miss this one, but I know you guys have pulled together a killer miniseries not to be missed. Who are the episode's special guests? I'm glad you asked, Casey. What better way to kick off this miniseries and with a deep dive discussion on all the hot topics at Shop Talk than sitting down with the source, Shop Talk's amazing content team led by Christina Gustafson, SVP of content, and Ben Miller, director of original content. Christina and Ben are incredible. Uh, you and Jeff really got to dig into all the hot topics. And wasn't this right after they had delivered their retail zeitgeist presentation on the main stage, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We, we recorded this the very next morning after that session where Christina and Joe Laszlo had run through what Shop Talk was seeing as the major retail trends for the year. Plus, Ben and Christina gave us some insights into what they found most notable from all the sessions at the show. And did I mention those 50,000 meetings they orchestrated? I mean, just wow. Wait until you hear all the stats about what was surely the, the biggest shop talk ever. Well, let's get to it then and jump right into you and Jeff's conversation with Christina Gustafson and Ben Miller from Shop Talk, recorded live and in person at the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our special Retail Razor crossover event with This Week in Innovation. I'm Ricardo Belmar, live and in person here at Shop Talk 2023. And I am here with the myth, the legend, Mr. Jeff Roster from This Week in Innovation. How are you doing, Jeff? Really good, Ricardo. I, and you know, I, I'm so proud of both of us. We're, we're here, last day, right, literally last working day. the show to the last, to the last minute, minute. And that's, that's how right. we roll. That's what we that's do. That's how we that's do That's what it. we do. That's right. And for this special edition episode of our live series here at Shop Talk, we have the incredible pleasure of having two folks from the Shop Talk team to talk to us about the event. We're here with Christina Gustafson and Ben Miller. Christina, Ben, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. Very good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Fantastic, fantastic. So let's jump in. And I think, you know, one of the, the probably most in, well, maybe not most interesting, but something I'm sure everyone wants to know is just give us a little bit of data around just how big a shop talk was this this year. Yeah, happy to start. 10,000 plus attendees, our largest crowd so far. I would say, though, 
what I take away even more than the size is just the quality of the attendee. So it really sort of felt like this was the big year. I know last year was technically a retail's big reunion, but with the loss of corporate travel bans, people just really being back down to business, the caliber of attendee, the amount of retailers and brands we had attending the show at a very senior level was was one of the big takeaways to me beyond just kind of the scale of the event. I know we'll probably talk about meet up a little bit later, but we also were able to facilitate 50,000 meetings for wow. the course of Two days, which was incredibly impressive. Other things to note about scale, uh, 275 speakers, 70 hours, uh, 50 hours of content, 80 sessions, wow. seven content theaters. So I would say those are kind of the high level numbers. But Ben, you might have some some additional stats to toss out there. Yeah, I think about the meetup, 50,000 sounds an incredible number. Right, um, it does. <laughs> so we had 323,000 requests. Wow. So the Appetite. Unbelievable. The appetite for everybody to want to get together, to have some meetings, to meet people, to build their business. And you could feel that energy when you walked around. And that energy, you know, it's day four. We're lagging a little bit, but that energy, <laughs> that, that energy is palpable. Yeah, and that's, right. and that's been, yeah, that's been a key part of the show this year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's on 323,000 requests. <laughs> wow. But I, you know, one of the things we were talking about before, you know, what we think is sort of unique about the shop talk experience you have, you know, for example, like how, how many vendors were here, whether exhibiting or, or attendees, I think that's always a key part of bringing all parts of the industry together that shop talk is so, so special for. Yeah, we, we re really agree. Our, yeah, I think you've heard Sophie, our president talk before that we don't think about a buy side and a sell side. We don't try and compartmentalize. We have a community and our vendors, the technology companies, wherever they are, really small startups for whom a Series A feels mm -hmm. a distant proposition still, right through to Google, Face, Meta, you know, some of the biggest organizations and biggest corporations in the country and in the world are here. We have about 700 technology companies and technology vendors, and many of them are on our show floor exhibiting, showing their wares, hosting a, a, their, their clients, and also being involved in their meetings. And they're a really important part of the community. And then tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the startup community and the relationship with, with the shop talk there? Yeah, it's, I think, been a part of our community that's been really special from day one. You know, we were really the first show that was putting Katrina Lake on, on the main stage when she had founded Stitch Fix, you know, the guys at Dollar Shave Club. So I'd say it's always been a core part of who we are, but we have recognized that it's such a differentiator for us that we want to pour more investment into it. And so we've actually been building out our team internally to make sure that we're really cultivating that community, bringing people on board who are specific to you know, bringing the big VCs to, to the show because, hey, when you get the big VCs here, you're also going to be, be building a big startup community. And I had jotted down the number, which of course is escaping me now, but yes, 475 founders who were at Shop Talk this year. I like to think that number is actually probably a little lower when you think about the fact that some founders have potentially sold their businesses, gone on to corporate ventures. It's probably, probably over 500 higher. in some capacity, people who our current founders or have founded businesses before, but we just truly think that's what gives the show so much life. Just the energy that you have from those entrepreneurs who are coming here to learn, share what they're finding. They tend to be also some of the more open folks when they're talking about the challenges that they're facing, yeah. which is Not always tend refreshing. to be, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Well, that's, that's why it's so fun to, to, to talk to the uh, startup right, right. community because they uh, there is no filter yeah. and right. there is no AR person to, to say, don't say that. So no, it's... <laughs> I mean, the difference is an analyst working, you know, with, with the largest companies in my old days at Gartner to work covering the startup committee. I mean, 
it's night and day. It's well, so refreshing. Were you? I don't know if you were in the keynote with Imran Khan from Verishop, but he he was unfiltered yeah. while he was up there on stage. Which I mean, we've been getting such good feedback on that mm-hmm. interview. So yeah, I hear you. I think we're incredibly proud about the keynote lineup this mm-hmm. year, and we, we it's been an incredible process to work with all of our keynotes to, to be prepared. But one of the things that we have spoken about is how they can be open. Nobody wants to come to an event and just see someone reading a press release. And some of the right. great conversations that we've had on the main stage this year, and some of the openness of the speakers has been quite a revelation. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're probably the best, you know, group that we put together. I agree. And I have to say, just being in the, I spent a lot of my time in the, the depths of the green room at the show. And I have to tell you the authenticity of those leaders. And I know that sounds really cheesy and I'm not typically the type of person. <laughs> ben knows I'm not the soft, emotive type, but I mean, it was palpable. Every single one of them was incredibly kind, incredibly grateful to be here, willing to be open, recognizing that our audience really wanted to learn. And so I didn't even feel to the same degree as in Pasha's that we had to push. Obviously, we're always pushing to say interesting things, but they were eager to do it, which was really unique and special. Tell us a bit more about some of the feedback you've had, both both in the keynotes and then even in some of the other track sessions. I know there have been some really interesting speakers there. I know I was in some where you could just feel, you know, some of the speakers were, were just, I, I would almost have to describe as entertaining. And some of the things they said and, and the way that, that the crowd really reacted to them. Yeah, I think some of the interesting formats that we rolled out have been a lot of fun. So one session that got a ton of great feedback was our rapid fire session. We did two of them. One was with investors, which again, kind of getting yeah. back to your point about people that can be unfiltered. A lot of laughter coming out of that one. I think one of the one of the questions at the end was, you know, what's your most unpopular opinion yes. <laughs> today? And just really kind of, you know, you poking and prodding them. So that one was a lot of fun. I'm we, stealing that one. Yeah. I mean, that, that's going to be my one opinion yeah, question. Right, yeah. Yes, exactly. We gamify it. There's a really loud, yeah. obnoxious buzzer when people run out of time. They there have is. their four minutes. So, <laughs> right. so that was a hit. And then we also did one on tech investing, which was really fun. It had a CB Insights, Ulta Beauty, and Patagonia on it. And I think what was really interesting about that one was you had sort of Ulta that has this huge budget. They're always Uh trying new things. They're always testing and learning. And then you have Patagonia, which is a little bit more conservative, maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't have that big budget to blow. So just kind of hearing Prama, who's the chief digital officer at Ulta, talking about, oh, yes, we're trying this. Yes, we're doing AR. Oh, this is fantastic. And Patagonia just being kind of like, no, hard pass on Metaverse, hard pass on this. You know, (laughs) it really represents the dynamics that our audience has. So different. Yeah, yeah. And I think that authenticity has been something that's, that's spread throughout. And we, we programmed sessions that were about purpose, mm-hmm. about purpose and about sustainability. But actually, what we found is great. We've got the specific sessions, but the general principle of authentic leadership has, has woven through so many of the conversations. And whether that's, you know, leaders openly facing in some of the challenges that they've had or talking about their views on social issues, there's been some really dynamic conversations. And that's been mm-hmm. exciting to be part of. I think to your question too about feedback, though, I haven't had anyone complain to me yet. So that to okay, me that's is, something. you know, that's, something, yeah. that's a yeah. big barometer of, of people being happy. So I think just generally kind of going back to where we started the conversation, everyone's running ear to ear, having a fantastic time. And that's not really something that's measurable. We'll get sort of right. the more measurable right. data after the show. But um, but it's I mean, so far, I think the buzz has been really great. I do really look forward to getting that feedback, though. One of the things that I had mentioned for anyone who was in the opening remarks session when we talked about how we were doing more on seamless stores this year. That was feedback that we got from both Shop Talk and the most recent grocery shop was that people wanted to see us lean more into physical stores. And so mm-hmm. we did that. We made yeah. sure yeah. that it was covered on our keynote stage with Foot Locker, with Brilliant Earth. It was something that we dialed up in our track sessions as well. So it's great to hear kind of the initial buzz and excitement, but we also try to take that constructive feedback post-show when we're getting more concrete data, survey results, and then mm-hmm. action that for, for the next show. 
Yeah. So t- tell us a little bit more on, on that topic of seamless stores, because I, I did because I, I noticed that difference as well. Right from back from both from last shop talk and, and progressing through grocery shop to hear that there was more emphasis on what's happening in physical stores and how that ties back into the rest of the retail organization. So how, tell us more about that. So I woke up this morning to a notification on my phone, uh, flicking through half jet lag still. And there's this great message that somebody had posted on my LinkedIn saying, thank you, Shop Talk 2023, for finally killing Omnichannel. <laughs> and I, I think saw I, that post. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? We've now reached that point where, 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 where we talk about seamless stores, we talk mm-hmm. about unified commerce, the general principle of how do we help customers wherever they are, whenever they want to interact with the brand to be able to discover, be able to explore, to Mm -hmm. be able to excite it, or to be able to buy. And whether that's on a social media channel, whether that's on the retailer's own assets, whether that's having a fantastic experience when they walk through a store, that's shopping. And I think the number of times I've heard that, there's been very few conversations about channel management. I finally realized that channels are just this artificial construct and actually what it is getting, it's getting product to people and exciting people about product. And that's been one of the big things for me for, for the whole show. When we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it in advance. We've been looking at how do you remove friction from the shopping experience and places where a bit of friction is good, but also where you want to take out friction. And that's been a really important thought. How do you link some of these things together about the online experience and the offline experience? What are the building blocks? What's the tech stack to enable that? But as a, as a concept, just being product when they want it has been, I think has been the biggest thing. One of the one of the cheesy jokes I didn't get into the zeitgeist was it reminds me of the Nintendo Switch, you know, where you're playing on your handheld uh-huh. and then you plug it into the TV and your game is picked up, you know, exactly where you were in, in right. the game progress. You right. don't have to finish a level. That's how I that's how my brain thinks about what unified <laughs> retail should be going forward. I didn't have room for it, though. We were already five minutes over. But, but in all seriousness, you know, the example that I did share, which was probably more valuable to the audience, was Brilliant Earth, right? You know, mm-hmm. you go online. You do an online consultation, you get to the store, hey, here's five rings that we picked out for you based off of what you told us online. Like, I think that's kind of how we're thinking about Unified these days. It's mm-hmm. less about shopping where you want, when you want, and making that a continuous experience. Because we were talking, we didn't want to undermine in, in our Zeitgeist presentation that frictionless isn't hard and it isn't important. But I think where we landed is more companies have solved for that already, right? The amount mm-hmm. of companies that have curbside that have redesigned their store formats, I think that kind of more progressed, if you will. And I think Unified is really still in its early stages, seeing what companies like Brilliant Earth are doing. The other speaker who we confirmed was uh, the chief digital officer from Panera. And they recently signed that deal with Amazon One for the Mm -hmm. biometric scanning in their stores, linking to loyalty programs. That's another great example. And it's a completely different category than fine jewelry, which is what Brilliant Earth is doing. But I feel like those are two early examples of where we see this trend heading. And I was in a different room when the Panera presentation was on, so I missed it. But the social comments yeah. and the social feedback mm-hmm. on that, yeah, we did some work. One of the things that was right back to when Shop Talk was founded by, led by Anil and, and, and the team was to sit down and look at where is the VC. And if you follow the money, uh-huh. then you start to put the trends. And we spent, a, we spent quite a bit of time looking at this whole idea of, okay, if Shop Talk wants to talk about physical stores, well, what's relevant what's new what's the future in that so you know with our friends at cv insights we went into the data and the nominal amount of funding is continuing to go into removing friction whether that's checkout free for example mm-hmm. this whole of connecting that shopping journey it's 
there's funding there, but it's it's still lower. But we really see that increasing, and there are some some of the stats about the levels of huge. So we believe that's only going to get more, and that's only going to snowball. So understanding that further, pulling out great examples, we talked on the main stage about Zara mm-hmm. and some of the work that they're doing in their flexi yeah. stores. Zara is certainly the biggest apparel retailer in Europe, not parent company Inditex, mm-hmm. the biggest in the world. They're still only doing it in, in a couple of trial stores. So the potential is, is absolutely huge, and, and we want to celebrate trials like that. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That's music in my ears. Yeah. I mean, I've been fighting on the channel forever. No, no offense, but yeah. when, when your competitor coins the term, no Gardner Allen should ever use that term. What's funny, the funniest thing I ever had is somebody one time, you know, no offense to the, the vendors in the room, but a vendor one time asked me, Hey, do you have omni-channel IT spend? And I said, well, I do, but you have to define what you mean. Oh and God. the conversation went dead. He had no idea what he was looking I for. I absolutely love that. My favorite thing is when yeah. people apply to speak at Job Talk and we're like, what do you want to speak about? And they're like, oh, omni-channel. Oh, oh I want to talk about e-com. And I'm just like, give me more. Okay, yeah, give me more. Yeah. Well, could you be a little more vague? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so one thing I noticed in particular this time, which I haven't seen at other shows, as much attention. And I think maybe it's part, it sort of comes out, I think a little bit out of the seamless stories, but I think Christina, you or Joe mentioned it in this session that uh, there's this renewed focus on how we're enabling store teams, whether it's directly with technology or just with different, by changing the processes, but just how they're able to work and how, even if you didn't have a session that was stated on the agenda, that's what it was about. I heard that come up from so many presenters and speakers that part of what they were doing was tying back into how they're supporting those store teams to make their job better. And I, I think I lost track, but I'm, I'm maybe three or four times I heard one of the speakers mention how they see that as something that is enabling a better career path for these retail workers. And I thought that was super interesting to me because I haven't seen that at other shows or in other events. I mean, let me give a big picture view and I'll pass over to Christina for a bit more detail. I would say take one step back from that. Mm-hmm. And, and the first step back from that is the investment environment that we find ourselves in right now. And the decisions and the hard decisions that we make. So if we are going through continued elevated levels of e-commerce sales, we're going through a store renaissance, I think you referred to it, and we need to try and deliver customers in our commerce everywhere. Well, that's great, but all of those parts require investment. So mm-hmm. how do you do it in an investment environment, which is, which is tighter? And this has felt a really optimistic few days, but we are pretty cognizant of the environment that we're in. The number of speakers that I've heard to say in that environment, the two things that they focus on now are people and talent and also the store infrastructure. If you take that together and you think, okay, well, where's the investment in people in stores? Mm-hmm. Then you start to realize that actually you've got a really cost-effective way to be able to drive digital transformation and to drive significant improvement. So we, we deliberately programmed some areas where we wanted to talk about some of the detail mm-hmm. about that. But actually, as a theme, completely agree, Ricardo. It's cropped up in so many different places. Yeah, I would build on that. I think it's not only the store associates, right? I think people overall mm-hmm. ended up being a much bigger theme than we had intended it to be. Yeah. You know, to Ben's point, we did have a couple of sessions that were very specific to store employees, whether it was mm-hmm. from the retailer brand side, whether it was from the tech side. We had a couple sessions, maybe one or two on culture and leadership, but that theme came up, I feel, even more mm-hmm. than usual. And I think right. it's this whole idea of empathy, kind of going back to your point too, and, and how you leverage your workers. Leverage is probably a, a crass word, but uh, 
empower your empower. organization. Yeah, there, there you go. Much it was really interesting because I, I feel like the dialogue around store associates for so long has been about productivity. And of course, we were hearing quite a bit of that. The lens of safety seemed to be a new conversation, right? As much as we hear about automation and the reassurances that, oh, the robots aren't going to take your jobs. Right. Now it was sort right. of, you know, listening into Amazon. Okay, well, we're actually using automation to make the warehouse workers safer and to make mm-hmm. sure that we have, you know, safety protocols in place. And that was kind of a new spin on mm-hmm. that theme that I hadn't previously heard and, and wasn't necessarily expecting coming into the show. I'm trying to find a stat. And I'm <laughs> here we go. I got it. There was a great, there was a great session from Katie Reeves, from who's the managing director of COS mm-hmm. as part of the H&M group, ma- managing director of COS in North America. And she's talked about the investment that they are making in this small store portfolio. Mm, yeah, yep, I remember that session, yeah. One of the key components of the smart store was enabling their teams in the store. And they talked about the app that they, and they're using the app for processing equipment, bring all the information into the right place to help them operationally as well as help the customers better. And she shared that in the pilot stores where they are app running, their staff tension of in-store teams has increased by 40%. Mm. And if you think about the labor market wow. we're in, wow. yeah. Joe shared on the main stage, the quit rate is over 40% higher for retail than it is for this whole. It's harder to find people, more expensive. If you're able to make that sort of change, enable that by technology, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Not only that, she shared that because of the process improvements, they're still having an extra two and a half hours a week to be able to serve their customers better. Hmm. And that's... That's transformational for a yeah, retailer. Yeah, that, that's a massive difference. That's a massive improvement. Yeah. You know, one thing that comes to mind as you're saying that, and it sort of <clears throat> circles back to what we were talking about before, I was in the session with Chobani, and they were actually taking this from more of a purpose perspective. And, you know, she was saying, we get asked the question all the time, how do you measure <laughs> the impact on sales? How do you measure the impact on the business? And she was actually making the point, actually, we see the most measurable statistics in our employee acquisition and retention because there are so many people that want to be a part of a company that is mission-driven. So I think it's always such a good point. Technology is really enabling workers. It's, mm-hmm. you know, boosting retention. It's helping that labor shortage, but also a really strong purpose and something that has nothing to do with technology could also be really powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how novel. People want to be part of something big. I'm shocking. <laughs> shocking, right? <laughs> we lose sight of it, though, don't we? Well, we do. And, you know, yeah. and that was such a strong point. And, and, and I was sitting here thinking as you're talking, you know, of course, our, our good friend, Ron Thurston, is this, mm-hmm. is this like his legacy? Yeah. Because five years ago, four years ago, we were really talking about this stuff. And then Ron pops on and mm-hmm. does that amazing podcast and that yeah. amazing journey. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's like we all are, are able to say what, what's common sense. Yeah, it's it's a people business. You better put your people in front of your people business. Yeah, I I, I even think you know the the biggest change I've noticed. To your point, if you go back five years, no one used the phrases enabling store teams. No one talked about empowering them yeah. with the right technology. What everyone said is, well, we have to get them the right training. Yeah, and it was all about training. Was always the key word, and it was investment in training, as if you know the only thing you needed to do was to impart a set of skills to just work the store. And now that's completely transformed that it is. I, I think you, know, you have the right words, Christian, right? It's about enabling and empowering the, those teams with the right elements, whether it's process, technology, or the other people skills itself, whatever it is. And I can't remember which session it was, but the one that's also stood out to me, someone was talking about how they recognize that when they look across all of the store associates they have, 
people have different skills and the different talents and some are better than others at certain roles in the store and that it doesn't make sense to assume that every store employee should be able to do every single job in the store. And especially if you start layering in things now like live streaming, for example. And this was one that I keyed in on because uh, you may remember this, this chip because some time ago uh, on the podcast, we talked about this idea and I had and some other conversation I had with, with Retail Wire, I think. We talked about this idea that the retailers have this inherent talent in some of their employees because let's face it, if you go by the, just by age demographics alone, odds are in most retailers, you have employees in stores who may have their own YouTube channel already, <laughs> independent of that job function. And they're good at this and they like doing it. So it makes sense for a retailer to kind of take advantage of that in, in a sense, right? And encourage those skills. But at the same time, that, that same person who might like to live stream, they might not be a good stylist, for example, if it's an apparel store. And there might be another employee that loves to do styling with customers and is so much better at it than others. So give them that kind of growth path using those skills. And this speaks to something that's at the very heart of shop talk content, which is how is technology enabling a lot of this transformation? Mm -hmm. And if you talk about enabling and empowering frontline workers, you've got 100% there is the talent. How do you unlock this right. talent? Right. And things like live stream, shoppable video, create a new way for frontline workers to be able to unlock that talent mm -hmm. that they've had in that store and they've probably been helping a small number of customers with, but now you can do it on a bigger scale. The seconds in training, it's really hard to take a whole day out the frontline worker away from their store to help them with some of the, at times, softer skills to be able to right. do that. There's some amazing trials and Kroger on the front foot about doing incredible work, help, empower, with app-enabled, short, quick, accessible training, mm -hmm. help be able to improve and to deliver a better experience for their guests. And then finally, there's that element you talked about, about playing strengths. Mm -hmm. There is this group of workers in flexible environment, economy, and tech is enabling access that, but actually more broad, enabling existing work, that flexibility to choose which store they want to work, what tasks they want to pick up, working at times at their family. So tech is enabling all these things to take that workforce, drive the attention, drive the engagement, and ultimately serve their customers better. Yeah. I'm laughing because it's a little bit of a tangent, but as you're talking about this and, and we're just kind of on this theme about empowering your workers and thinking about building technology for the people who are running the organization, I think about maybe another industry, maybe the airline industry mm -hmm. that didn't focus on this and yeah. somewhat imploded. And so yeah. I, I, I laugh because we always tell people, if you tell me you're a data-driven, consumer-centric company, get off the stage because everyone else, like every single company who's on our <laughs> stages, if you're if you're not, get out of here. But I do think sometimes by saying that, and it's obviously the right approach, we ignore what needs to happen for the employees mm -hmm. to make this whole business run. And we've seen very clearly what can happen when that gets ignored. So I think you yeah. know, even just kind of looking to lessons from other industries made us realize just kind of how important this, this theme is overall as well. Mm -hmm. God, it was question that actually I wanted to ask you, one of the conversations, because we started to touch about data, mm -hmm. and you, you've got such incredible knowledge in this space. We, we've picked conversation almost, a number of speakers have almost thrown their hands and said, you know what, data, trying to understand the customer across all touch points, just can't, first party, pure party, I, I can't get an omni-channel, a true mm -hmm. of my customer everywhere, and that's fine, I'm just going to have to serve them where you can. Uh-huh. Is that a view you recognize? 
I, I think kind of maybe the, the I would kind of break that down to say that it, I, I, every retailer I talk to will, will say, you know, at the end of the day, we are overwhelmed with data. There's no lack of data. <laughs> it's, it's really a matter of, A, what can I do with that data? How can I actually analyze it in a way that tells me the story about my customer and who they are, what, what their preferences are, what, how they want to engage with us? That's what every retailer wants to know. And I think the challenge really is, I forget what the statistic is, but the amount of data that retail generates every day is just overwhelming. I think it's something on the order of it's more data than the internet generated five years ago or something unbelievable like that. And so the question every retailer has to ask is, so what am I going to do with this now? Right? What are the tools I have to use? And even if you have the tools, it's not enough right? because it, even that needs to be looked at by people to interpret what do I do now that I have this knowledge. If I convert that data into something useful and knowledgeable that gives me a, a possible actions to take, someone has to take those actions. Someone has to make the decision which is the best action. And then it becomes back to a, a people problem. And I know, I think even today, but in past years, I've, I've seen retailers will say, you know, now we think we know how to select the right tools to help us with the analysis. But now my challenge is, this is so new, we don't have anyone on staff that knows how to deal with this. And if I try to go out and hire those people, everyone wants to hire those people. So it's incredibly competitive. And I feel like I don't even know if we can afford those people on to be part of our, our organization because it's so competitive. We're back to people. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. It always seems to come back to that. You know, I guess we'll maybe turn around because sort of the one thing we haven't talked about that it has come up all over the, the place is everyone's favorite new hyped up technology is generative AI. It's like last year's metaverse. Yes. And, and one of the promises, I guess I'll use that strong word it, about this, is that it is supposed to help with this problem and give you better tools and better decision-making capability with all that data that you have. I, I, I mean, what, what are your, for both of you, what are your thoughts? Because obviously I mean, everyone must be coming up to you and saying, Oh, what, where is, where is the session that we're going to talk about generative AI? Every session now. Every, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was actually surprised. People were more measured than I expected them to be. I thought it was going to be like Metaverse last year where mm -hmm. it was like, the session is not about Metaverse and it's still snuck in. I, I feel like generative AI was a, a little bit more measured. Look, I think our big thesis on it is, again, still very early. What feels different to us, though, is that this feels immediately applicable mm -hmm. and it feels like yeah. something that you invest in and see real business results right. on. So... So many opportunities, I think, um, oh, gosh, who was it? Sean Downey from Google was just kind of talking about the various mm -hmm. use cases for it, whether it's advertising, whether it's, you know, looking at supply chain data, whether it's creatives, whether it's customer service. Right. We had a slide that was kind of making fun of, in a, in a good way, the CBN sites market map that they built mm -hmm. with just all the, and it was just scrolling, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not even retail, right? It's every single industry. The use yeah. cases feel yeah. endless, yep. which I think right. is a really exciting opportunity. I think we would both agree that a lot of work still needs to be done to make sure this is ethical, to make sure it's mm -hmm, we're very right. early stages. But right. I think it just feels more real to yeah. than the metaverse. Well, the, th yeah. the thing that's real about it is we all we all are, are playing on it in our own search engine. I that's mean, right. Yeah. I wanted to ask, you know, the Microsoft guys we talked to yesterday, just what, how many more hits on Bing has gotten in the last... <laughs> Because yeah, I, it, it that's is, all I've used. Yeah, it, yeah, it is and, like and 150 so million extra users exactly, every day. Exactly, it just it it has to be. And, and so, so literally, there's no technology that that every single person is using that it has this immediate impact in yeah. the business. I mean, we all didn't pick up point of sale devices, or we all didn't pick up whatever. But this one thing hit. But we, I mean, we were tracking it from an, from a startup perspective. I mean, the amount of of spending AI even two, three, four years ago, it, it's it's orders yeah. of magnitude compared to everything else. Yeah. And then it just exploded. 
Yeah, it's just in the last. And then it got a little months, controversial. Yeah. So then people even used it more, and everyone's trying to trick it and right. all this stuff. And, yeah, it kind of became. But I a think game. You, you hit on something really important there, right? One of the biggest problems with the metaverse conversation, and we were very clear about this last year as well the learning curve yeah. to even understand mm-hmm. what it is, to understand exactly. what blockchain is. Right. Is virtual gaming it? actually the metaverse? What is it? Goggles. ChatGPT. Yeah. Like my parents Boom. can go. On right. the website, take that's it. Right. It is yeah. so easily accessible yeah. and it's so exactly. easily understandable. And yeah. I think that's why you've seen just meteor- yeah. meteoric rise in interest compared to the metaverse. And the other thing is, if you break it down, there is three potential areas that generative AI can help with, which are the mental challenges. Number one, can I make repetitive tasks more efficient? Mm-hmm. And right. scale retail is the efficiency of process. Yeah, that's what it is. It's about so, scale. So, right? It's about scale. Great. This is something that can help it. So of course, retail is going to lean in. The second is, can it help drive commerce everywhere? You know, we started the conversation mm-hmm. with seamless stores. Right. The amount of copying creative that it would be required to be wherever your customer would be is mind-boggling. Generative AI might be able to help. And thirdly, that the holy grail of mass retail, physical, of personalization. We've talked about it every time. And the reason we talk about it every single conference is because we haven't cracked it yet. Right, that's right. Generative AI has the potential to be able to help in some other areas. So there's three absolutely core retail drivers that we can see mm-hmm. cases for. So yeah. no wonder people are excited. On the plus side, we were, we were in the staff room just before we came down and I, we brought up ChatGPT and I asked ChatGPT, what were the key themes from Shop Talk 2023? <laughs> and of course, he told me that unfortunately it's historic and can't, right. can't do that. So Christina pointed out that maybe our jobs are secure for another year yet. We'll take that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on on that. I mean, I, I like to, I sort of, I steal a, a quote from one of my colleagues um, at Microsoft who like tells everyone in every meeting, you know, if I haven't had five retailers I talked to today about generative AI, generative AI, it's only because the fourth retailer didn't get off the phone with me till the end of the day and I couldn't get to the fifth call. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. And, and, it's, and it's so true. And, and I think you're right about the different categories. I and mean, one of our uh, favorite customers that we, we talk about is CarMax, where they've taken this technology and you know one of, they found that one of the pain points in their customer journey is people go to their website and they want to research the cars they have in inventory. And one of the tools, of course, is to look at reviews and comments from people who bought past cars. Well, there are thousands of reviews. So you go on there and if you want to look at a car, what's your, your choice is to read a thousand reviews <laughs> before you decide what you want to go look at. Or maybe you just give up or you find some other tool to help you do that research. So they've actually leveraged these tools now to do all of that summarization for you. So wow. you can go to their website now and you give it the parameters that interest you about a car and their new AI tool just comes back to you with immediately the summarization across all those thousands of reviews. Here are the key points that you're interested in. Here's how it compares in these cars that you chose to look at. I need this so bad. (laughs) The joke joke in our household is whenever we travel, I don't read anything. I literally, I just see, I see a pretty picture and I'm like, book, and it kills my husband. He is like the one that's reading like hundreds of He wants to research everything, right? Oh my God. Every single thing. Well, I think the bar's in the wrong place in this hotel or the room is only this many. Yeah, he's He's on, he's on it and I am not. So this this will help me be a better travel partner. <laughs> there you go. So I guess let me shift then to the kind of the last one trending thing I wanted to ask you about because it's it's one that it's probably one of my favorites. So over the past year, and Jeff likes to poke fun at me for this quite a bit, you know, I, I've been oh, really big on retail media networks. He knew I was going <laughs> this way. And part of the reason why I've been 
beating the retail media networks drum for so long because I, I started talking about it back in what did I tell you, October 2021. It seemed like two decades ago. Yeah, when yeah, really yeah, yeah. But it, it's evolved, and and I think again, I think you you guys mentioned this in the session that really, what has it evolved to? It's become more about retailers looking more like a technology company and offering technology solutions and services to other retailers. And I think that to me is a, is just really interesting into how their own, their whole core business is evolving. I think that Ben will jump out of his skin if he doesn't get to answer this question. I know. Well, and, I, and, Ben's, la and Ben's laughing, so anyone not, who yeah. not can't see this, I mean, Ben's laughing because he and I have had this conversation exactly before. I don't think I don't think an hour goes by without Ben talking about retail in a, in a very positive yeah, way. Yeah. But. We're of like minds. <laughs> we are of like minds. I, 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 you did a very good job leaving that to the last question because otherwise we'd have lost the whole of the podcast. anything else if we get started yeah. with that. that yes. That, this is, it's, what, the, why is it so important? Um, why do I get so interested about it? Because there's two levels. One, I think at the, uh, our friend Andrew Lipsman at yes. Insider says he's so well. This is the yeah. third wave of digital. Yep, I absolutely, yeah, it's totally agree. You see the numbers. Okay. The numbers, let's be honest, the numbers are hugely, hugely skewed by investment in search return. Right. So, yes, we are kind of size the prize, but you've got to recognize that skew in it. But when you strip that back, there is a marketing digital marketing channel where you, which has the opportunity to directly sales investment and whether retail media is more efficient than other digital marketing channels or at, or it's just that you can actually prove it then actually that proof point is really valuable so it's a, it's a phenomenal trend it's a, it's a huge wave and what's been really exciting in this particular event and you know, we'll continue the conversation in a, a European Barcelona as well it is to stand back and say, okay, we all know what we did now. We don't need to do it. A lot of us are doing it. Really, how do we get efficient? Mm -hmm. Do we and do I need 600 retail media networks in my portfolio? Where, where do I spend the money? What's exciting about it is he's coming back to, and I think this is made to Joe made you in the zeitgeist is it's about the basics of advertising. So let's talk again about creative. Let's talk about engagement. Let's talk about generating fun. And this is another channel to enable us, us to do that. So that, that that's really exciting. The second element of it, which is why it's so important, is that element about changing relationships. Mm -hmm. This idea that yes. a retailer is, is, as well as a buyer, is now a seller to their vendors. And it's not, that's not just limited to retail media. That, that, yeah. We call it collaborative commerce networks, which is the sh sharing of logistics, for example. And when you add in marketplaces and you see how the their suppliers, customers, and with other retailers are changing. How do do all of that and drive the margin that's there to be taken at the same time as keeping that laser focus? Because we know that as soon as a retailer loses their laser focus on the customer, then that's a challenge for them. How do you balance those two together? And that, that's still a work in progress. And that's one of yeah. the fun conversations that we've been having and seeing, where, seeing what next and seeing how retailers map that. God, yeah, if you're a serious retailer of a significant scale, you've got to keep the retail media game. You cannot right. leave that margin on the table. But how do you do it in a way that keeps focus on the customer? And you're targeting now calling that out in their earnings reports mm -hmm. to say it's at the center of their thinking. And that customer-centric approach to alternative revenue streams is going to be a really interesting trend. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I got to tell you, Ricardo, so, so I was kidding <laughs> you about you know, that being... I spent probably three and a half hours yesterday about four different vendors, and I think I now begin am only beginning to understand literally how much money we're talking about mm -hmm. in re, in in retail media. And it is it's never been. I mean, it, 
really was never a focus at the at the other show in in the cold part of the country in January, <laughs> and it's ever present here. Yeah, and you can't as an analyst that covers the entire landscape, you can't get away with it. But the people that actually built some of this stuff, mm -hmm. I talked to. Right. And it's in, you know, it got the history and it's like, oh my gosh, we're not talking about something that's been around a hundred years. We're talking about something that's really yeah. exploded in the last three years. Yes. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah. that's what he's been talking yeah. about. Ricardo, I'd be curious your thoughts. One debate that we've kind of been having and we haven't come up with an answer to it yet. It's just kind of the dynamics of how this plays out in industries outside of grocery because mm. that's of course been the industry mm -hmm. that's adopted it the fastest, but yeah. the incestuousness <laughs> of that industry compared to department stores, sure. apparel, yeah. places yeah. where companies have the opportunity to be more D2C. Yeah. Uh, part of me wonders if it's as scalable there where mm -hmm. the retailers don't have as much, let's go back to the word leverage, as they do in the <laughs> yeah. grocery industry. Like, yeah. Have you thought about that at all? I have because you're right. I mean, there is a very unique kind of trade relationship in grocery between grocers and the CPG companies that, that have all you know all those products. It's a different dynamic than you look at a department store, which is maybe the easiest, I guess, example to kind of look at here, where there's so many third-party apparel products, right? Yes, there's private labels in, in your department store, but generally people are shopping there because of all the, the name brands that are available. So what's the say, equivalent opportunity? I've actually been saying department stores to me, feels like probably the number one most untapped opportunity for this because I think department stores, we all say the same things, right? They've sort of lost their luster a little bit, right? People just are shopping less at department stores. But what could department stores do to make this more interesting? You know, I would say one of those is they have to increase the, just the overall experience in the store. And if you think of visual impression as a consumer walking into a department store, versus any an apparel store where you just see apparel hung on racks. In a department store, I think the merchandising opportunities are much bigger. And if you think about the in-store advertising they can do with digital screens, not the sort where, you know, oh, look, there's a screen hanging on the wall showing a video clip about this designer and their products. Run. Not that, right? Because anyone can do that. And and that's probably my, my number one least favorite <laughs> example that anyone can do. And, and I've, I've been working with digital signage for the since more than 10 years. And and Jeff is laughing because one of the comments I keep making about retail media is from the early days back in the, you know, maybe early 2010s, when I was marketing digital signage solutions, we talked to retailers about creating this kind of media network for their brand in their stores. And not one retailer ever executed it well. The only, they all never got as far as let's hang a screen here, let's hang a screen there, and then ask brands to give us content. And I suppose part of the the conclusion we had is that you can't ask IT to run that operation. It really needs to be run by marketing. But um, if you think about what you can do with screen technology now that you couldn't do then, you're not limited by the form factor of a traditional TV monitor type screen. You can have the screen shaped any way you want, and you can have any sort of visual layout for it. And if you do that, then, then I think that opens up new advertising opportunities for those brands that the department store can work with that feels more you know, lifestyle oriented, it feels more aspirational for the apparel merchandise that's there that they can build off of and entice customers that when you walk by it, you feel like, oh yeah, if I was wearing that jacket, I, I could be doing what this person's doing on, on that video. I'd be out on the mountain you know, doing, doing this. And I think that it just creates a different feel that even if you went to that brand store, you know, they may or may not be doing that, but uh, it's different and it's a different experience. So that's why I think that's an, an untapped opportunity for department stores. And I think that's where that needs to go. Um, and that's why I think adding the in-store component to retail yeah. media is so important right now. I think that's why that's where the, the real story is going to start to 
surface in, in this whole concept. It's almost like, it, and I, I that was really helpful. Thank you for sharing that. But it, it it sounds to me so different than the conversations that we hear about retail media today, right? I know some friends who work for some large CPG companies, and it's more of a conversation of you have to do this, but what you're describing is like a desire to differentiate your brand. It, yeah, it, it right. feels like a, a shift right. in, in, in the why. Yeah. And don't you also think, though, that with grocery, groceries had slotting fees for, forever. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of seems like that's a logical extension of the those yeah. co-marketing laws going back and forth where I, actually I don't even know this but I don't think department stores really have slotting fees because the the product is constantly changing so you have other yeah, you have in, other something but right. I, not, yeah, not in the same I, way I mean you you have you know a designer like a Ralph Lauren may have an arrangement with the department store based on how much space they get on the floor uh, and have this allocated for them as a brand and then that dictates you know what merchandise do they make available to that department store versus mm-hmm. a competitive department store that might give them more space and they make different merchandise available to them it's kind of negotiated that way not quite the same as the slotting fees that CPG is doing grocery and I think the other thing that's the big driver is the fact I mean just who was on the, who was on the exhibit floor TikTok and what were they doing mm-hmm. there's at least three or four live streamers so the idea that we're all create we're all creating content and want to create content yeah I mean and that now we're finally getting to the point where retailers are comfortable maybe not having everything be so hyper-produced. You know, I think the, the best example I have is I just love B&H Photo. And if, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's, a, it's the best Photoshop in, in the world. And uh, super high-end, skilled photographers that, that are selling camera equipment. And my first experience with, I don't know if it's live streaming, it's one-to-one working with them. I mean, for a camera shop, the, the video quality was not very high. I mean, it was a little shocking. But it didn't matter because the expertise and the engagement mm-hmm. yeah. for me sitting in Silicon Valley to to Midtown Manhattan and that experience was amazing. And if retailers just embrace that and let their associates create or do whatever they want in, in and produce all this content to fill up all the screens you're going to see, it's going to be great. What I don't want to see is it become so, you know, so over over marketed and just mm-hmm. take the soul out of it because mm-hmm. retail should be passion i mean i think yeah i think my dad back in the 70s you know in his his butcher shop i mean it was all about passion it was about this and that and engage and up and down and, da, 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 da. and and i think in some ways as we expanded retail we've lost that a little bit of passion maybe this is an opportunity maybe it's a nice thing you know post-covid is that We've now re-embraced and learned and knew what we missed. And mm-hmm. let's just have this retail renaissance and yeah. let's get back to the business of having having fun and having people mm-hmm. engage in this process that we call retail. Yeah. And then you and then, you know, all those years you pitched me, you know, with those whole digital signages, now all of a sudden everything's coming together. The yeah. infrastructure, the screens, the mm-hmm. cheap, you know, the, the screens, the ability the the equipment we have to right. to create all this content and we have now We've taught almost everyone, you know, if you have something to say, turn on your 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 phone and, and shoot something out. Well, yeah. when retailers unleash that, holy yeah. smokes. And, and now we have all these tools kind of coming back to the whole immersive commerce idea. You know, I, I just gave an example of using fancy screen design, but it could be much more tactile and immersive with all these sensor technologies available. I could pick up a product in a store and that triggers something on, on some sort of visual environment nearby that, to give me a different bit of content about it because I interacted with the merchandise and that we couldn't do that before yeah right so th- so that's another new new approach that can i think and again it's it's in-store media and i think that's why that's going to be such a an important yeah, part of it it's just going to be such an insane category i mean i almost want to go back to my forecasting days and just start trying to build a model out of that because it is going to be a massive number <laughs> a massive yeah well i guess maybe the last thing to kind of 
wrap us up here. And we, we talked a little bit before about just how the sh- how Shop Talk is changing itself. And you guys announced a new fall Shop Talk for next year. So, I mean, a- anything you can share with us about how Shop Talk itself is evolving? Well, we are taking on new challenges, uh, listening to customer feedback and just really kind of growing the brand in new and exciting ways. I'll let Ben kind of tell you a little bit about Europe because that's in six weeks time, mm-hmm. which is hard to wrap your head around, but that's <laughs> that's going to be really fun. In Barcelona, we've got 175 speakers. I'm stealing all your thunder, but but a fantastic lineup that's going to be in Barcelona. And then I think, you know, Ben kind of said it earlier with just the number of meeting requests that we saw in our platform, we recognize that doing this once a year just isn't quite fulfilling the appetite that people have. And so I think you'll see us lean a lot more heavily into the networking component. I think we have a real differentiator there mm-hmm. with the meetup platform. Yeah. You know, it's not something that other events in the retail industry have. And so it's a real competitive edge. The fact that it's powered by technology, you know, even if someone tried to do it, there's just feasibly no way to do it manually. And so I think you're going to see us lean really heavily into that. And I think, you know, to your point about getting back to business, we love content. We're the content team. We're always going to talk about how fantastic content is, but the reason people are here is to be part of our community, right? And so the more that we can do to enable that is, I think, really kind of the direction that you'll see us going in the future. And, And that's kind of the impetus behind the new event. So it, it is not at all daunting that we're doing it all again. Just slightly. <laughs> we tried to black this out. We're like, let's talk about this after. But you know, look, it's less, less than six weeks now, 9th to 11th of May in Barcelona, a fabulous, progressive and dynamic city, which is just where we want to be for our brand. And the challenge of how do you drive retail innovation through digital transformation in a tough operating environment is as pertinent in Europe as it is in the US. Mm-hmm. What you've then got to layer on top of that is 30 plus different countries, e-commerce in different states of development, very local retailers. So we think the opportunity for shop talking greater than it is here. And the reason for that, God, their own domestic, we're trying to crack the same problems as somebody, mm-hmm. maybe only 200 kilometers away, but they don't have a relationship with, but they don't compete. So the opportunity for collaboration, for cooperation, for learning, immense. So we're really excited about what we're building in, in Europe, what we're going to build in Barcelona. And yeah, the show will open at 11 a.m. on the 9th. It's happening. People May. keep saying, are you guys yeah. ready? We're like, well, it's, it's coming. It's we will coming. be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we've, got, we've got an incredible lineup. We, the, the European retail and brand community have lent into the event stronger than they ever have done. This is only our second year in Europe, but we've got an incredible lineup and it will be both from a speaker, but especially from a delegate, the most senior event that we've ever put on. And we are seeing people think, you know what, this is a great way to get our teams together, to bring our individuals from across Europe into a place to, to learn and be inspired. And we can be more excited to facilitate that. And I can't wait to get into the Spanish sun because I don't know where you, I don't know what you guys are in the heat of Barcelona, uh, from Las Vegas, but this has not been what I was expecting when I escaped the London winter. So hopefully the sun will Listen, shine. I'm from California. I'm just glad that the water's not coming down. And it's been a long time since the Californian said, no more water. Stop for a while. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep. Well, I, I guess listening to you, Ben, I'm, I'm kind of going to say we're, we're back to the people element again from what you were saying. So it sounds like super exciting for what's to come in, in Shop Talk Europe. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, Christina, Ben, I want to thank you so much for sitting down and spending all this time with us. It's been a fantastic conversation. I think we've all learned a lot and congratulations on a really great event again. <laughs> Once again this year, I think content was fabulous, of course, and just the, the energy and 
like we've been saying now multiple times, it really brought all the people together. And I think that's probably the most important part of it. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And thank you for having us. Thanks again. Well, Jeff, I think that wraps us up. I think we're done. Another good show. Another good show. Wow. That was such a great discussion you guys had with Christina and Ben. And you covered so much ground. And no surprise, you had to cover generative AI and retail media networks in there too. Yeah, that's true. There's no escaping the impact of generative AI right now. And yes, it did kind of feel like last year's metaverse. I mean, it was everywhere at the show, in the sessions and everything. But I think there's an important difference that we kind of touched on that metaverse at last year's shop talk was all about experiments, right? Trying to see what consumers would like, how would you transform that into commerce? Uh, but with generative AI, the use cases are already out there. They're being implemented with real world results, uh, as we heard in, in some of the sessions at shop talk. Plus, this doesn't really require consumer adoption like the metaverse does. It's more about operations and efficiency so far. And that does include consumer benefits that just don't require the consumer to adopt anything yet. Yeah. What about the retail media piece? I caught the shout out to Andrew Lipsman, our, our favorite retail media analyst. Well, probably another obvious one, right? <laughs> I, I did find it telling that Shop Talk picked up on what we've been saying here before, that retail media is just the start of a B2B path for retailers to sell services to other retailers and brands as a high margin way to improve profitability. We definitely will need to revisit these two topics more in our next season. Absolutely. So what's coming next with you and Jeff? Well, we've got a few super interesting startups that we talked with, and we'll cap off the series with another great discussion coming with a couple of fan favorite guests. Now, I'll just give one hint. It's a follow up to one of our NRF live conversations. All right. Well, I think I know who that is. I mean, obviously, I know since I know <laughs> what's on the show. But to our listeners, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But now I do want to thank both Christina and Ben for joining Jeff and me for this discussion. I know it was quite a feat for them to make the time for this on the last day of the show, just a couple of hours before they went on stage to give their official wrap up presentation. So thank you both so much for joining us. So with that, Ricardo, it's time for us to wrap up this first episode in our Shop Talk Live mini series crossover with Jeff Roster and This Week in Innovation. It's a wrap. If you enjoyed our shows this season, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Plus, you can watch us, not just listen, on our YouTube channel and like and comment on this season there too. And of course, if you want to know more about what we talked about today, including a full transcript of each episode, take a look at the show notes and handy links for more dates. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. If you'd like to connect with us and share your thoughts on this season, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on Twitter and LinkedIn at Retail Razor for the latest updates. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.